Well, as we near the end of our series, I want to remind us from where we have come. Uh, The first week, we looked at the fact that Jesus was born to love, and love us, he does. He loves us stinky, misguided, broken, sheep without a shepherd people. All of us, both Jews and Gentiles. And in John chapter 10, verses 16 through 18, this is how Jesus described himself. I, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. He was born to love, he was born to heal and restore. Those two go hand in hand, to heal and restore our souls, to heal and restore our purpose, to heal and restore us from the brokenness and the falling apart that is caused by sin in our life, to restore us back to who he originally created us to be. Jesus was born to redeem. He is our ultimate kinsman redeemer. He sacrificed all for us. He did what needed to be done to redeem us no matter the consequences to to himself. He came to serve, not to be served. Jesus was born to save, and as part of that saving action, he was also born to die. He surrendered himself to death on a cross. His death on that cross was a fulfillment of of prophecy, hundreds of years of prophecy. And then he prepared the disciples for what was going to happen. He, they needed to understand that something completely and totally strange to them was going to happen. See, he told them that he intentionally came to this earth so that he could die. His death being the ultimate and final sacrifice that paid the debt for sin, that paid what was owed to God for our sin, for all who would believe. Now, Jesus predicted his death at least three times. We we see it recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he prepared the disciples for a reason, and, and it should prepare us as well. Look up here at John chapter 14, verse 29. This is what Jesus said. I have told you now before it happens... So that when it does happen, you will believe. Jesus knew it was going to happen. He wanted the disciples to know that he knew it was going to happen. And then then when it happened, they wouldn't lose their minds. And it did happen. Exactly the way Jesus said it would. The first time Jesus predicted his death, as detailed in Mark chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. It'll be up here on the screen. Verse 31, he then began to teach them with the Son of Man that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus tells them this just after he fed thousands. He does this incredible miracle and, and, he, and, and shows all of this power that he has. And he says, oh, by the way, I'm going to be killed and, and it needs to happen. 
I'm sure it was shocking news to the disciples there, thinking the one who's going to free them from their nation from the oppression of the Romans. And then Peter sticks his foot in his mouth and rebukes Jesus. Oh, no, 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 that can't happen. And, and Jesus turns it back to him. His response was, get behind me, Satan. You see, Jesus knew that his death must happen. It was necessary in God's plan to save the world. He predicted his death a second time in Mark, Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 32. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Confusion. Why, Jesus, would this need to happen? That passage when Jesus told them that and taught them that was just after the transfiguration. He shone before them in a great light. Peter, James, and John saw Jesus in his heavenly glory and they were confused. Why would you need to die? And then in Mark chapter 10, Verses 32 through 34, Jesus a third time predicts his death. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. On this occasion also, the disciples are a bit confused yet. I mean, at this point, they have to be uh, agreeing that it's going to happen, right? But why? What, what, what is going to happen when Jesus is killed? And they, they have never experienced anything like it. Resurrection, the resurrection of the dead just doesn't happen. It was not a normal thing. But they would soon learn what Jesus meant in the events of Good Friday and following. You see, Jesus did rise. Jesus did come back from the grave. Once a year at Easter, we specifically celebrate the resurrection. But for Christians, isn't every Sunday Resurrection Day? Resurrection Sunday, we, we celebrate that each week. Among other things, Jesus was born to rise and his resurrection changed everything. This was the most powerful divine event in the history of creation. And it ushered in a new age of the Holy Spirit's activity and power in saving and transforming lives. When considering if Christianity is true, it all boils down to the fact and the truth that Jesus is alive. That, that Jesus rose from the dead. That he resurrected. And, and the resurrection is still changing people today. It, it changes fear into love, despair into joy, brokenness, brokenness into wholeness. The resurrection changes people from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. It changes guilty condemnation into a celebration of forgiveness and freedom. It changes anxiety into hope that goes even beyond the grave. It can change our sinful hearts so that they want to follow 
Jesus Christ. And the power of the resurrection is relentlessly killing sin in every genuine Christian that's alive. That is amazing. Now, in Nantucket, Massachusetts, there are these buildings right here. And I'm wondering, does anybody know what that is? We have a few Easterners here. Uh, Brandon does, because I was telling him this morning. That is called a hut of refuge. Uh, We know about these things because up and down the coasts, there are these things called life-saving museums. Now, about 240 years ago, When whaling was a big industry, sailing ships would go out into the seas, they would find these whales, they would try and catch them, kill them, and many, many ships would go down just hundreds of yards from the coastline. The coastlines were rocky, they were were, uh, rough there. So around 1780, a group of people got together and they said, we're going to do something about this. We're going to make it our personal priority. In in the authority that we have, we're going to band a group of people together, and we're going to make it our priority to watch the seas, to watch the ocean. And if there's anybody that we see in watching who who could be lost, who, who their ship is going down, we're going to go out there and we're going to save them. They took it upon themselves. This is the fascinating thing about this. These people had regular full-time jobs. They volunteered to do this. They just decided that it needed to be their priority to band together and create this little life-saving society. So they built these huts, and they scheduled themselves to man them day and night, just waiting for someone to call for help for a signal flare to go up. And they would watch, and they would watch, and then when they saw somebody in need, they would go out. In fact, in order to be really clear on what their purpose was, and to keep their mission before them, they came up with a motto. And I'm not making this up. This this is what their motto was. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. That was their motto. I think maybe we should make this the motto of our children's and youth ministry for our volunteers, right? Sometimes it may feel like that, but the rewards are great, as I'm sure the rewards were for them. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. So here are these people who are volunteering. And that is their motto, willing to risk it all to save the lives of other people. Complete strangers, they put their lives on the line for them. And, and the museums all up and down the coast bear witness to the, to the story, story after story of people who went out, people whose lives were saved, people who gave up their lives to save other people. And all those people that spent hours and hours just standing by and watching and waiting for someone who needed help. Is there anybody out from the shore who needs help? They were watching for this. Is there anyone lost? Their mission was clear. Turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to talk about the mission of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about what his priority was, why he was born to rise. 
And, and Jesus was very clear about what his mission was, wasn't he? And as we look at his mission this morning, we're going to focus on, on three words. There's spaces in your notes for these three words. I'm going to give them to you right from the get-go. Those three words are priority, authority, and capability. And as we consider these three words this morning, the first Sunday of the year 2022, I want us to consider making a New Year's resolution together as a church. Now, I, I know we don't talk about resolutions. I usually don't talk about resolutions. I, I think of it as a goal or whatever. But as we enter the year 2022, my prayer is and my continuing prayer will be that we will take this challenge. I, I want us all to consider being a part of it. Whoever you are, if you're even watching online this morning, first of all, let's look at priority. Jesus' priority as it concerns to his mission. Matthew chapter 28, uh, look at verses 5 and 6. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He, is, he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then verse 7, the angel says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. The first thing that the angel told the women to do. The first thing. The first command message after the resurrection of Jesus Christ was to take place were conversations. Those women were to go back and tell. Go and tell. Go tell people that Jesus is alive. And they did just that. Look at verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And then in verse 9, it says, Suddenly Jesus met them, the women, on the road. Greetings, he said. And we know that they recognized him because they came to him, got down on their hands and knees, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Which was appropriate that they would do that. They bowed down before him. What would we do if we came face to face with the risen Savior? And what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? He says in verse 10, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Jesus says, here, you've just come face to face with the risen Savior. Here is your priority right now. It's not worshiping me. Although that is part of it, obviously. It's go and what? Tell. Go and tell. Go and have conversations with the disciples and tell them about the risen Savior. Also, tell them to go to Galilee. In fact, that's recorded twice. Meet me in Galilee. Meet me in Galilee. Why, in verse 7 and verse 10, is Galilee mentioned? Why should they go to Galilee. A pastor I was listening to this last week said this, and I think he's, I think he's, I think he's spot on. Take a look up here at Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. 
As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. This is before Jesus even called one of those kids to be his disciples. In verse 19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. I will make you fishers of men. Maybe Jesus was calling the disciples to meet him at the place where it all began. Maybe Jesus wanted them to relive that moment when they, they could put it all together, that, that they were called by Jesus. It was their first priority that they would be fishers of men. Their ongoing mission now would be to fish for men. Jesus is telling them, I want you to watch the shores of your neighborhoods and your communities. I want you to watch for people that need Jesus, to, to watch for people who are lost and going down. They're not going to survive. And when they see someone, to leave the comfort of the shore and have a conversation with them about the risen Christ. So when Jesus did see them in Galilee, this is what he says to them. Look, Matthew chapter 28, verse, starting in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and he said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. Go. Go and have conversations with people about me. Go and tell them about the risen Savior with as many people as you can, as often as you can. And for those who will listen, tell them over and over and over until they understand it and believe. This priority of mission isn't our idea. It's Jesus' idea. It's priority one, the idea of looking out for lost people. The idea of the church being a life-saving station. Where there are people who take risks and go out to where the lost people are. That's Jesus' idea. It's one of the last commands that he gives. Jesus was born to rise. His death and resurrection is why he came. Seeking and saving the lost is Jesus' priority. Now, the nation of Israel was the first group God called on to man the life-saving stations. They were supposed to be an example and blessing to all of the other nations of who the one true God was. And now it's been given to the church. The church is to be the hope of the world. The church is to be God's instrument in bringing the good news of the gospel to the world. And the church, I want to remind you, is not a building. It is not a place. It is not an organization. It's us. It's you. We are the church. And our priority as given by Jesus is to proclaim the truth that Jesus was born to rise. And in rising, Jesus brings us to our second word this morning, and that's authority. Jesus' authority reveals to us two things. First of all, his authority is our antidote to fear. You see, as I talk about us 
having conversations with people, you're, you're like inside of you going, I don't know if I could do that. It makes me nervous. It makes me afraid. I'm afraid they, of what they might say. I'm afraid that I might not know the answers. I'm afraid that it might change our relationship completely. But you see, it's not about what we are able or not able to do when it comes to having these conversations with people about the risen Savior. It's about Jesus' authority. What did the angel say to the women? Look back at it in verse 5. Do not be afraid. Now, I, the reason why angels, that was almost always the first words out of an angel's mouth was because they were pretty freaky looking. You know, somebody shows up in your front porch and all of a sudden glows like the sun. There's going to be some pretty, I mean, I'm going to be scared. I get scared at noises at night in the dark. But the angel said, do not be afraid. Jesus isn't here. He has risen. And then what does Jesus say to them? The same thing, right? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. This is the most amazing life-changing thing that you've ever experienced. Don't, don't be afraid. And in that, don't be afraid, what does he say? Go and tell. Go and tell. Which is interesting to me that it would be the women that he appears to first because in that culture, women had no clout. Women couldn't even testify in a court of law. They weren't allowed to. Nobody trusted them. But yet Jesus says to the women, go and tell what has happened. And don't be afraid. He speaks an authoritative word into their life. Go. And then he goes and he meets with the disciples. And the first thing he says to them is what? Verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Before he tells them to go, he reminds them that he is the authority. He has all the power in heaven and on earth. They have seen it but they haven't seen it like it's going to be. He has proved it. He has shown it. And he's reminding them that as they go, they go with his authority. They go with his power. We don't need to be afraid because the, the most powerful authority in all of heaven and all of, all of earth and the entire universe is sending us. He wants us to go. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father on his throne and he has the power to do anything that needs to be done and he has also given us just like he did his disciples the privilege to ask anything of him to come before the throne of grace and ask and I'm asking God to help you I'm asking God to help me go and tell That's the priority, that we would have conversations about Jesus with people. And he has the authority to relieve our fears. He has the authority and the power to fill you with words that come out of nowhere that you didn't know that you were saying. And, and here's something that I want you to think about. 
Uh, maybe add this to your day. You know, fill in your pocket. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't take the keys out of your car this morning. Um, as we enter the year 2022, as you use your badge to swipe the door to go in the school or to a business or you unlock a car or you un- unlock a door to go in your home, as it, maybe make a mental picture for yourself that in that moment when you go through that door, you're entering that door, that you would consciously and um, intentionally ask God in that moment to give you somebody to have a conversation with Jesus about. To remind you that God provides doors for us all day long for us to have conversations with people. And most of the time, we either walk by them and don't notice them. We don't attempt to open them. We, we don't even try to see if the door might be locked or open. I watched a football game last night. It was the last one of the night. And... I claim the Baylor Bears because my daughter went to school there. And they won last night in uh, not so dramatic fashion. I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a good game. But it reminded me, uh, hearing the coach talk after the game, he didn't invoke the name of Jesus or he didn't even say God was with us or anything like that. But he talked a lot about the sacrifices that the team made over the... They, were, they won two games last year and, and they broke a record this year with 12 wins. Players could have left and they didn't. They stuck around. But it reminded me, I was talking to somebody this morning, it reminded me of the basketball team last year who who won the NCAA tournament. Their theme of the year, their coach's theme of the year was joy. And joy represents, it was an acronym for Jesus, others, and you. It was a matter of their priority in life. Jesus first, then others, then you. Now, I'm not saying that that's how or why they won the National Basketball Championship, but they took an incredible, uh, they they took advantage of the platform that they had been given by being as good as they were to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. All, All a player had to do was to describe to another player what joy meant, and it's It opened the door. Now, it's up to that other person whether to shut it or not, but if we don't try the doors, we'll never know if they'll open or not. Jesus has the authority. That's what he wants us to do. And and the Holy Spirit will help. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. We are given the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised it. And and gave us the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and we see Peter proclaiming boldly the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4, Peter is filled again with the Holy Spirit and proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ before the teachers of the law after spending the night in prison. And then we get to Acts chapter 7 and Stephen is before the Sanhedrin, the highest court of the land. And he is facing charges of speaking blasphemous words against Moses and against God because he's talking about Jesus Christ as the Messiah, that Jesus was God. What he was really doing was preaching about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So what does he do? He starts with the Old Testament. He starts with Genesis. 
and he works them through to the end, talking about how Jesus was the one who came and died and is alive. And then, probably one of the greatest kind of conversation killers I've ever seen in my life, in verse 51 of Acts chapter 7, he says, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. Now, I'm not saying that is the way that you should direct a conversation with someone. After this, it says, they gnashed their teeth at him and picked up stones to stone him. And as they do, Stephen sees Jesus standing, not sitting, but standing before his throne As Stephen stands before the high court in Jerusalem, he sees Jesus, the king, the one who in reality has all of the authority. He is the highest court. Jesus is the final judge. And in that moment, Stephen, I think, resigns himself to the fact that this, he would have himself in no other place but to be faithful to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whatever happens, happens. And, and whatever happens is the best thing to happen. Because God is in control, and that's just fine. We, you're not likely going to have to give up your life to share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone. Now, it, it could be that someone in this room might be in another country someday, and it could be that. But I say, let's do it. Let's share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is alive, and not just the fact that he is alive, but it has incredibly impacted you, what, your story with him. Just tell your story. What has Jesus done? Jesus was born to die. Jesus was born to rise. Priority, authority, and then Jesus closes his final commission to his disciples with this. Uh, verses 19 and 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you always. Always to the very end of the age. Another phrase I heard this week is this. Where God has us is where Jesus is. He's with us always. Whatever situation God has put you in or allowed you to be in, Jesus is right there with you. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, Every conversation you have, there is something deeper going on in the midst of that conversation. You may not see it. You may not recognize it. You may not even know it ever happened. But, but as we have conversations with people, the Holy Spirit is working in that conversation. 
Because Jesus is there in that moment and he has all the authority. We may not see it or notice it, but Jesus is there. And the more that we remember that, the more powerful and intentional our conversations will become. Because we are living for somebody, for something, for somebody other than just ourselves. And it's amazing to me, again, that, that we don't, he's doing the work. He's, he's infusing the power. We just need to continue to stay connected to it. This is where our capability comes from. It's the third word, capability. Our responsibility is to be available. Jesus makes us capable. There's always something going on that is totally beyond us. I need to remember this more. I need to trust him every day with that truth. Now, we know Jesus is capable for he rose from the dead. I mean, he is alive and and he is equipping each one of us to do the work of the gospel, to do the work of an evangelist. We're not all gifted in that area, but we're all given that responsibility. Now, the life-saving stations that I talked about earlier after a major hurricane realized that they were very inadequate for what they needed to do. So they contacted the Coast Guard and asked if they would come help them, maybe do some training, maybe provide some other equipment for them. And the the Coast Guard was willing to do that, and the, the Coast Guard did that. But it didn't quite accomplish what they were hoping. Because you see, when, when they came and did all of this, the life-saving stations realized that maybe, maybe what they really should do is leave it up to the professionals to do the life-saving out in the ocean. We should leave it up to the government to do the work. They're better equipped. They're better trained. This is their full-time job. We're just part-time, so all the little life-saving stations started to disappear, and they don't exist anymore. And there were no longer many, many people up and down the coastline looking for lost souls, looking for people that needed help, to see if there was anyone who was in trouble. Funny thing about these groups of people, even though they were no longer fulfilling the mission that they set out to fulfill, they still loved getting together. They still liked being together. So so they continued to get together. They loved the fellowship. They would have carry-ins. They would have breakfast gatherings. They would, once in a while, give out some community service awards. They would gather money occasionally to to fix their gathering place up, but they weren't living out their original priority of saving lives. That can happen to a church, can't it? You forget what the priority is, and you just sort of stop trying to accomplish the mission, and you just kind of live for yourself. Well, may that never be true of us. May we never lose sight of our God-given priority to go and tell, to be fishers of men, to go and make disciples. That's not just the job for the professionals. 
That's just not the pastor's job. We are all to have that priority in our lives, having conversations under the authority of Jesus Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, facing our fears with Jesus side by side with us every day to the very end of the age. With the priority and authority of Jesus, we have the capability. We just need to keep the mission before us and we need to live out that mission as your pastors, Brandon and Michael and myself, will do our best in the year 2022 to keep us on mission. But it isn't just our mission or our job as pastors, it's yours too. We are all in this together, it's all of our mission. So I want us to consider this statement, and maybe you could just write it down really quickly. In, in 2022, may we have hundreds of surprisingly easy-to-start conversations about Jesus throughout our communities because we are convinced that where God has us is where Jesus is. Now, you look up there and you go, oh yeah, easy to start conversations. What in the world are you thinking? But see, that's where the enemy plays against us here. He wants us to think that those are hard things to do, and they're not. You don't have to have all the answers. You just need to be willing to tell your story. How has Jesus changed your life? How did Jesus resurrecting from the dead change everything as we know it? You don't even need the New Testament. Stephen did it with the Old Testament. Jesus did it with the Old Testament. It's really nice to have the New Testament. God's word given to us. And I want to challenge all of us to engage. Engage in conversations about Jesus. Now, I'm not going to tell you how to do this. Because, look, you know your strengths. You know the things that you're good at. You know the places in your life where Jesus has changed you. You know the people that you work with. Maybe, maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your hobby. Maybe it's a personality characteristic that you have. There's not a right or wrong way to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people. There, there are tools and things that we can use. But, but at this point, I think the main thing is just to... Try the door. Engage. And maybe you already are, and if you are, great. Keep it up. I know some of you are. Maybe you could even help some of those who, who aren't engaged grow in their desire to, to share Jesus Christ. Priority, authority, and capability. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for coming and sacrificing and doing what needs to be done. What you could, what only you could do. For being that one ultimate sacrifice. And I worship you this morning as the living Christ because on the third day, you rose again. You appeared to many, many, many people. 
We know this to be true because what's, what changes in our lives when we surrender to you and when we, we believe, when we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that you are Lord, that you are Savior, we think differently. We, our priorities do change. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us as a church, help us as the family of God to, to have your priorities in our life and, and that we would have maybe... Maybe not each one of us would have hundreds of conversations, but us as a church, as the body of Christ, would have hundreds of conversations with people. You would empower those, and you would help us to, to find those things that, that we can share with people so that it just becomes a natural thing that we would not fear because you have all authority, and, and, and you... Fill us with the same power that rose you from the dead. Thank you, Jesus, for this new year, 2022. And I pray, God, that, this, that we would see this year as a year of hope, not because of what's, what's going to stop happening in our world and in our nation, but because we, we are focused on you. As husbands and wives and children and families and as a church. And now, Lord, as we reflect on this new year, I pray that you would make these words that we're going to sing true in our own hearts and that as we partake of communion, that you would help us to remember and that we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.